This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 209 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Uh, this is, I guess, kind of unofficially the fifth anniversary podcast. So thanks for being with us for the past five years. We've got lots more coming your way. So moving on to actual Georgia State discussion, they say good things come to those who wait. And that was certainly the case for Georgia State men's basketball as they busted their six game losing streak in a big way this past weekend. We'll recap the hoops action and set the stage for GSU's upcoming road trips. Plus, we've got audio from Brad Stromdahl as baseball starts their season later this week. But first, we had to bring back old friend Ben Moore, publisher of Panther Talk, to put a bow on the football signing class now and even preview a little basketball commitment news as well. Ben, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Yeah, great to be here. And uh, yeah, happy, happy anniversary, I hear. Uh, excited to uh, to see and be a part of it. And uh, yeah, man, we uh, we got a lot of news and a lot of a lot of things crashing all at once all of a sudden with, uh, with football spring practice kicking off and basketball in the midst of... Uh, you know, uh, do we call it a winning streak? Two, two games is a two games is a winning streak. Hey, yeah. a win is a win, literally. And two is two. It's it's true. You know, you go back to major league, right? Three three is in baseball is considering a win streak, but we'll, we'll we'll claim this as a win streak, no doubt. Yeah, and we won't try and rehash too much. Uh, we talked to Ben a couple weeks ago. It feels like yesterday about the initial signing class back in December. Uh, we'll try and focus in on the new news we have. And obviously, we didn't have Ben on, nor did we ourselves have the emergency podcast when a quarterback commit and signee did come through. But Georgia State does have their quarterback of the immediate future, it feels like, with Zach Gibson, Georgia Tech transfer. And they also added DJ Murray out of Florida, a high schooler who will be joining in the summer. So I guess the obvious place to start as we look at the new names on the signing class list with Ben is the quarterback room and, you know, whether they're done or not remains to be seen, but they've added where there were, you know, a lot of questions heading into just even next season. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I think, you know, losing, you know, arguably I've seen the argument out there about, you know, is Darren Granger the the best quarterback ever? He certainly has the most wins. Um, You know, we know, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously some, you know, opinions going going around, and I think the recency bias certainly rolls in. Um, you could you say you know, and throw a Nick Arbuckle or whatnot. But regardless, you know, Dar- Darren's impact on this offense was clearly felt uh, when when he played well. The team played well um, when they didn't. Uh, when when he didn't play well, certainly against you know some tougher opponents and tougher defenses, uh, the team did not perform well. So you had to had to replace somebody who'd been around college football basically since 2018. So um, you, you, that's that's a humongous loss. Uh, the the best news I think overall for the program is you can throw another veteran right in there. You know, guy Zach Gibson, um, who who I would assume is coming here to be the starter. Um, you know, an underrated talk to a couple guys. Um, Todd old buddy uh, Bryce Kuhn, who's with the LSU site now, but uh, formerly at Georgia Tech's um, 24-7 site, uh, said, said you know, Zach is an underrated athlete, guy that r- was able to run around a little bit and, and escape, um, kind of being able to fit, certainly not the straight line speed that Darren Granger has, but, you know, guy that started two seasons at Akron, um, you know, a lot of folks kind of looked at his stats at Tech, um, and, and truth be told, talking to enough folks that were in that building and covered that team um, that just were a train wreck under Jeff Collins and that staff. Um, not going to throw his year out completely, but it just, you know, things did not 
progressed uh, too well. And then, of course, you know, did not uh, grab the starting job over Haynes King, came in last year for Tech. But a guy that's been around college football a long, a long time, and, and you mentioned D.J. Murray as well, a uh, guy that is a, just an electric athlete and, and I think is going to have to learn the quarterback position at the college level. And, you know, no, no better way to do that than, you know, being able to look at a guy like Zach Gibson and, uh, and, and stick his, you know, you have the opportunity to stick his nose in the battle there with uh, Braylon Ragland and, and, you know, Brian Harrison as well, who's uh, no, no going to miss spring as he's recovering from uh, off season surgery. So um, I think the room is probably set, but, you know, as we know, the portal is nonstop. So uh, if someone decides to leave at the end of spring practice, then you know, the coaching staff and, and OC Trent McKnight will have to go shopping again. And UCLA just had, you know, their coach leave, although they they hired from within. But just to your point about the portal never closing, that's another third day window for another program where guys can now leave because of a coaching change. And we're still in February. We're already into February. That's happening still. Yeah. You had Boston College. Where yeah, Boston you know, College too. Boston College as well. I mean, ha- have that that swing the door open. There's a there's a tremendous amount of Metro Atlanta kids on the Boston College roster. Uh, talked to one parent um, who who basically his son was a starter on defensive side of the, side of the ball. Who was going to kind of wait and see and stick it out. Um, obviously with Bill O'Brien going up there, but you're right. I mean, it's um, and and that's the benefit I think as well uh, of you know the work that Coach Elliott has done is this roster is not completely set. There's still, at least by my count, four or five scholarships available. And then if you do have some attrition, you have even more room, you know, to, to add, you know, where you can kind of go through spring, figure out things. And uh, you know, I guess Coach Elliott and his staff really like the early spring practice, and they're going to get started here, you know, before Valentine's Day again this year, which is just wild to think this is, uh, air quote, spring here. But um, you know, getting getting more opportunity and more leeway and, and seeing what they need and be able to evaluate. I think it's uh, nothing but a positive. I'll stop hijacking the line of questioning. I wanted to, just for the, the sake of our listeners also, just run through, I believe, just the new list of names. You mentioned the quarterbacks, uh, DJ Murray, Zach Gibson. Also, a couple of linebackers out of high school, Brent Washington, Jacoby Jones. Also, Avery McFadden, a wide receiver out of South Carolina who had been committed before the signing day but waited until February to sign, has done so. Dede Diablo, who's an edge prospect out of North Carolina who was previously committed to Kurt Signetti at James Madison before that coaching change. And then I believe the other new names that we had not touched on previously, guys like Derek Maxey, Coastal Carolina safety transfer, Javen Hall, uh, linebacker out of Marshall, Martez Thrower, linebacker out of Kentucky, and Kenyatta Watson out of Georgia Tech. Maybe we talked about some, maybe we hadn't, but just your general feel of the new names that jump out of you uh, from especially maybe the transfer side of things. Yeah, I think we're we're seeing kind of an evolution of Sean Elliott as a head coach. Uh, I got to give him and, and his staff a tremendous amount of credit you know, we, we, we heard it very famously when he first arrived in Atlanta, how I uh, wasn't a huge fan of the transfer portal, um, you know, transfers in general and, and kind of added a little bit, um, you know, kind of seeing a need. Uh, then the new era, I would say, the transfer portal and, and getting ransacked in two years ago um, and even losing, you know, obviously key pieces this year. But being able to find and identify guys that are from the state of Georgia and even Metro Atlanta 
um, who either weren't playing or were playing in some cases and, and just wanting to finish up their career closer to home. Uh, it's almost like the Ron Hunter way of doing things, right? You're trying to go find those Metro Atlanta stars who you may not have a, had a shot the first time around. Um, you know, Kenyatta Watson a, is a perfect example. He was a high four-star guy that signed with the University of Texas. Uh, of course, Texas goes under, um, you know, coaching change after Tom Herman gets let go. He comes back home at Georgia Tech, um, doesn't really play a lot there. Still another another conversation with some tech folks, and they didn't really understand that. Uh, they, they see him as an impact guy day one uh, as soon as spring opens up. Uh, but you mentioned all the, all the defensive additions. I think, you know, we have certainly see, now seen Chad Staggs' imprint on this defense. Um, I think in a lot of ways he remade this defensive secondary, Got certainly got stronger up the middle at linebacker. Um, you know, grabbing guys with you know with some experience, um, also on the edge. I think that's that's the to me one of the most impressive things um, that that Coach Staggs has been able to kind of stack guys and stack depth um, at key positions. And uh, where we where you're looking maybe in December after the bowl game, like hey, they're they're a little light there uh, at linebacker and maybe edge uh, may have an opportunity to, to kind of come in there and, and and solidify that in a major way and. Um, you know, even a guy like Jai Gilmore, I think, is is very interesting as well. A guy from Tennessee Tech. Um, you know, this this team has and program has done really well with FCS defensive backs, um, and uh, so it's it's going to be interesting to see, obviously, who who comes out and has that opportunity. But you got 15 practices to kind of hammer it out, and and uh, interested to see some of these Metro Atlanta guys playing for their hometown team now, and and what that means to them. I guess, you know, taking a 10,000-foot view, where do you see this roster as we are headed to the middle of February and just in terms of, you know, talent, in terms of kind of expectations that you have going into at least spring practice? I don't even want to get into the fall. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing, you know, there, there's certain um, areas that you feel comfortable about. We just talked about quarterback. I think the running back room uh, is very solid. Again, br- bringing in, you know, Power 5 transfer, um, and Dominic Thomas, you know, you got a guy who has played a ton of football and CJ Beasley is very familiar with the Sun Belt coming from Coastal Carolina. Uh, we saw what Freddie Brock did being, you know, have, having that depth and and he legitimately could be a guy that's third on the depth chart kind of coming into spring. Uh, but we know we'll, we'll certainly have an opportunity to kind of jump ahead just to being in the offense for another year. But um, I think there's definitely needs and, and, and some question marks on the offensive line. Uh, there's question marks certainly at wide receiver, but you know, as Brady kind of has talked about all offseason uh, so far, is is listen, so, some of these young guys who've been sitting out and kind of chomping at the bit in the last few years, um, this is their opportunity now. You know, the, these are these are the the reps, these are the times in spring to kind of go out there and make a name for themselves. Guys that were highly recruited, like Quentin Thomas, um, you know, who was who was committed to Liberty, uh, coming out of Eagles Landing High School, McDonough, uh, high, I mean, you know, mid three star guy. Um, you got guys that, you know, again, have been in the program and you want to see them move forward. I think the tight end room is, is very stacked as well. Uh, interested to see Chris Bird come back. Uh, Amon Green, obviously, the, the time that he's got uh, bringing in the, you know, the talented freshman Lane Waddle from from Indiana, uh, who's already on campus. And I know he's going to want to kind of jump in knowing that Trent McKnight wants to run as many two uh, tight end sets as possible. But um, I, I just think there's a ton of reps available. Um, I certainly feel better about the defense overall kind of going into spring this, uh, you know, this spring than last, I will say, just because of the heavy, heavy losses. Um, you know, I think there is certainly 
opportunity. Uh, but, I mean, as far as the defensive line go, I feel good about that as well. That room's pretty solid uh, with guys coming back and guys being being added. Um, but uh, there's there's going to be a lot of new faces. I, see, I saw some of, the, some of the grumblings on the boards of, hey, did, didn't really know some of the workout names and faces. But, uh, you know, one of the guys that, uh, you know, just shined in the bowl game, you know, and, and spotlighted it, you know, Kadarius Thompson, you know, he gets, just getting that opportunity to play uh, as, as so many guys were out of the bowl game and, uh, you know, him getting that experience in this offseason and, and maybe he emerges as a leader here uh, in spring. So uh, overall, feel, feel solid. Uh, the schedule's tough, obviously having two power five opponents, but, uh, you know, we, we can certainly talk about that when we get closer to fall. But, yeah, right, right now there's there's a lot of optimism and uh, a lot of experience and talent uh, brought back, um, you know, for spring. Yeah, the schedule is always tough. So, you know, no sense in complaining about that, right? That is basically our party line here on the Thursday night podcast is just don't complain about the schedule. That's what it's going to be every year. Absolutely. Also wanted to say, we talked about it back in December, but I think we are all stock pushers of Lane Waddell and uh, don't tell Sean Elliott. He can't do 13 personnel because I am sure if he is up to snuff as a freshman, he's going to try and get, he'd love to have three tight end sets out there uh, with bird and green and Waddell and find, you know, one of them lined up underneath is like the H back and two on the end and just go full grown man football with it. I mean, especially since we saw Ali Johnson, what, what throw a, throw a tight end Jersey on and was playing that outside tight end extra blocker. Uh, I was just waiting for him to throw the, you know, the big man touchdown. That's, that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see the, you know, for, for, you know, get a little, little spray out on the, uh, you know, first and goal or second and goal and then go play action there, but it didn't get it this year. Yeah, I'd seen it in spring games, and Shamarius Gilmore had the recovery on that field goal against Charlotte back in 2017. But, yeah, a low-key, like, non-important goal for 2024 is let's get a big man touchdown just somewhere. Whether you draw it up on offense or whether you get a rumbling, stumbling defensive touchdown, like, let's bring it back in 2024, George I mean, State. you had a Travis Glover, you know, fake punt, man. Rush, let's go. Like, it's it's in there. We, we know we know it's it's within Sean Elliott's, uh, you know, grasp. He, he, he respects the big man. Let's go. Yeah, is any other coach drawing up a fake punt for an offensive lineman? Probably not. But you respect it. I, I salute the effort and the execution. Yeah, they got the first down. They didn't. Yeah, the and that's offense, all that happened after that. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> switching gears to basketball. Um, this is obviously a little bit less settled, but probably settled because signing day is not that far away. And I'm sure the staff feels pretty good about the commitments they've got being set. So figured it was a good time to also loop in the basketball talk and two new high school commits in the last couple of uh, weeks, along with a, a JUCO guy that they added in the last. Uh, right at the end of 2023. Yeah, uh, the newest is Trey Scott. Uh, Dennis Scott the third, as they call him Trey, and uh, pr- pretty uh, impactful transfer, or a pretty you know impactful uh, commit there. Uh, certainly the name, but you know a guy that that has been on a lot of folks' radar. Obviously, having a very famous father who played at Georgia Tech and was a legend there. Uh, one of the best shooters ever um, in the NBA ranks as well. Um, you know, and, and I loved his comment, you know, his dad's comment talking specifically, um, you know, on local radio, talking, talking and saying, look, you know, tech, he probably wasn't a fit there. And they, you know, previous coaching staff had offered him, um, wasn't going to be a scenario there, but he was offered, you know, by Indiana, by tech as, as a sophomore um, and, and, you know, continue to grow and continue to develop. 
Um, he's on a very, very good squad at, at, at Mount uh, Vernon Presbyterian there. And, and just, oh, by the way, no big deal. Just happened, happened to have Devontae White, former Panther, on the staff there um, talking about and touting you know, the program and, and being able to discuss and answer any questions about Georgia State. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, he, he's that typical stretch for this program, you know, needs guy that's, that's going to continue to get better. Um, and, and a guy I think that will potentially attract other names with him. Um, you know, that's the one thing that I think that Jonas and Jarvis has both looked for and really kind of had runner up capabilities. We saw it last cycle with Trenton Flowers. You know, they want to get someone that can bring other guys with them. Um, and I certainly think you can see that. Um, and we talked about, you know, pretty much all season long that the need for a, a, a true center um, was a need as well. And going in the JUCO ranks, a, a familiar familiar spot going going back to Northeast Oklahoma A&M where Julian Mackey was a you know JUCO All-American last year going to get Javari, uh, Javarzia Belton. Um, big dude, get off the bus first, 6'10 and a half, 245 pounds, just freaking brick wall of a human. Um, really, really, you know, is a guy that's rebounder, block shot, um, you know, super efficient around the basket. Uh, he was a guy that was over 320 pounds uh, when he left Southern Miss as a freshman. Um, gotten himself into much better shape over the last two years in, in the junior college ranks. Um, so I'm very interested to see how he kind of develops and brings him in. But now you go where you really didn't have any big men. Uh, now this next cycle coming back in, you, you have several. Um, you know, you have Ed Namoko continue to develop. You bring in Belton, who has played uh, two years at the JUCO level and as well, um, you know, one year in the Sun Belt with Southern Miss. Um, you know, bringing in Trey Scott, who's who can play kind of that that stretch four. Um, you feel a little bit better about depth, and then, then of course, you know, DK um, having an opportunity a year stronger, year, year to develop. So I think you go from a from a four power forward in a center position of being kind of a, a weakness question mark to one that that has certainly significant depth. So it sounds like they uh, the staff has has certainly addressed those needs, and and I'm excited to see uh, what they look like when they arrive. I really like Jason Jackson as well out, out of uh, overtime elite. Uh, you know, incredible to get get someone out of that program, which is, you know, just a factory of, of really, really good players. We had a great, great um, question brought up. How, how have Overtime Elite, you know, relatively new, uh, you know, factory there, um, you know, right down there at Atlantic Station, how have those players developed and gone to the Division One level? And the quick answer has been pretty good. Um, I, I had to go to our, our resident historian, Dave Cohen, and, and a few other guys, uh, trying to find a better sheer athlete from the guard position, um, and, and I and the, as of right now, uh, Jace is probably a top three, top four pick right now in terms of athletic ability. Um, still kind of developing an outside shot, uh, but I think for for his purposes, being just again uh, all around, you know, just freak show athlete, being able to get off the ground, tremendous wingspan. Um, he, he's a guy that you just don't see a whole lot at the Sun Belt level. And I, I think he's another guy that's, that's potentially an impact uh, player with, with Dylan Miller. I mean, the, the guard, the guards that are being brought in this class are, are pretty impressive, uh, certainly statistically. Um, and, and, you know, while, while you know, Jackson's stats may not pop off the page, when you've got four or five high D1 caliber guys and even guys that will probably play, play professionally on overtime elite, it's hard to get many shots. So, you know, him coming out and having nine or 10 points in a game where, where he may only, you know, have legitimately six or seven, you know, opportunities um, at a good shot is, is, 
you know, going to be more efficiency in that sake. But no, he's go watch his highlights. He's he's a guy that can absolutely get off the ground. Um, I think his his standing vertical was was almost forty inches, and I think running vertical was, was even higher than that with the steps. So, um, yeah, very very high ceiling on, on on Jackson, and I know the staff is very excited about him. Well, pulling back the curtain on everything with this podcast, I feel like we do a bit. Uh, we did have Ben on as part of it, especially mentioned the basketball stuff because it was a pretty low point for the program. There wasn't a lot of good news, and obviously, as we're about to get to when we let Ben go and talk about the basketball. That did turn around this week, and men's basketball had a lot more positivity than they had had in recent weeks. But all the same, we appreciate the insight on the basketball and the recruiting information from Ben Moore. Yeah, appreciate you having me, fellas. Thanks so much for coming on, Ben. All right. So, yeah, thanks, Ben, for coming on. Let's go ahead and pivot to basketball last week. And boy, do we have some fun stuff to talk about. It was a 2-0 week to snap a six-game losing skid. 78-69 win at Louisiana on Wednesday night before turning around and handling business against Miami, Ohio. 73-53, 20-point victory for the Panthers there Saturday afternoon. The wins set the Panthers at 11-13 on the year and 4-7 and in Sunbelt play. So, gentlemen, thoughts on these two games? We're a full transparency squad here. We usually kind of own our wins and our losses. We didn't see this coming. No. Louisiana win, we did not see coming at all. No. Um, so, super credit to the team at what was one of the, it felt like another low point where you're coming off two home losses, games that you felt like you could have won. It would have been an easy kind of white flag game where you're hitting the road for just one game on a road trip against a good Louisiana team, but... And it kind of looked like that to start because they were down 18-4 before you really kind of looked up and realized what was happening. But from that point, they poured it on. They ended up outscoring Louisiana 74-53 from that point in the game. But really, it was the work they did in the second half, outscoring the Cajuns 48-30. And doing with defense, which was the real surprise of it all because that's been the lagging unit for this team. But they really, really set a tone defensively controlled things and that carried through into Saturday, but they needed that win, not just for the tally, not just for what it does for maybe working their way back to 500 or above 500, pulling that upset, but just for the vibes. And it, you know, it must be said that was the most pivotal unexpected win, but that's why we keep coming back to this thing called sports and especially college athletics. Cause you just, you can't predict it. Yeah, I don't know that there is a specific word for what this win was. I don't think it was a statement win because that I think that's a step too far. But we need some sort of like descriptor for like a a quintessential good vibes win, because that's what this was like. I. It did not seem early that it was going to be a good day for Georgia State. And, you know, I've been saying it for the last few weeks. They do this thing where they start off really slow. Then you get to like the middle of the first half and a team is like, okay, all right, now we are going to stop hitting shots. And Georgia State's like, oh, we can play some defense. And then their offense catches up. And they did that in this game and then just repeated it in the second half. And it was shocking, not that they were good, but it was shocking just the completeness of the second half, because, I mean, we have not seen that in a few weeks. You know, I I think there's there's been a lot of things that have let them down in the, you know, during the six game losing streak. They lost six games in a row. So, of course, Um, but this was just a complete role reversal. And, you know, if this was a team 
that was closer to the bottom of the Sun Belt. You know, no disrespect to Old Dominion, but they have two conference wins. If this was them playing Old Dominion as a one-shot road game, okay, I could see it. Fine. This was a Louisiana team that I believe was top four at the time, and I think they, they won still seven are. Straight. Yeah, like that's a and Louisiana team. Had only in scored Louisiana. less than 80 once in that win streak. Exactly. That's a Louisiana team that had been hot, has been really good, has been playing some of the best basketball in the conference. A Louisiana team that was at home. I mean, it, I would be crazy not to say that this was the shocker of the week. Better Georgia State teams have lost there. Like, it's not been a place that, like, they've got some good wins there over their time. But it's not been a play like a good team. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure a tournament team lost at the Cajuns. Um, I don't know which year, but I am positive that was the case one of those years. And it's how it goes. But you talked about it being a complete game and a complete win. And I want to hone in on that word specifically because I looked at it as a complete win also because what was most fun about it was everyone who played did something that contributed to the win. You look at Leslie and Carrie Wom, career high 15 points, or Georgia State high 15 points, the most he has scored this season. And he had 11 of those in the first half. And honestly, as much as they fought back, they really didn't have anything going other than him working down low in the post in the first half. So you have to question where they would have been in the second half if they would have been within striking distance like they were without what he did. But then you flip it to the second half, and Tanar Lane has 13 points in the second half, you know. He obviously draws, I've done the Corey Allen thing a bunch with him. He wears number 11, shoots a lot of threes, but I honestly felt Justin Roberts-esque mini heater from him there in that moment where he scored really quickly a few times. And it's something that Justin did in his time here as well. Uh, But he obviously leads the way with the scoring there. Hits the go-ahead three, about eight minutes to go. Uh, Dewan and Brendan Tucker kind of, they didn't, wow you with the stats they put up but they were steady and i felt like brendan came in like five minutes into the second half and he got an and one and he had a couple other plays where he drove and he did he passed out of a drive but it got a guy a good look and it, it really helped them find something again offensively and duan was just steady not turning it over assisting ended up with seven of his nine points in the second half lucas taylor hit the tying three uh, and i think the guys that i want to circle for this whole week that really wowed me with what they did, even though it wasn't necessarily stat sheet busters. Ed Namoko had his best game of the season, nine points, six rebounds, two assists, two blocks, and Julian Mackey, who I think would be fair to say is not done what he expected, what other people expected as far as coming in here and scoring. But this last week, and it's been coming in little bits here and there, but it really showed in these two games, he has shown something that no one else has been putting out there defensively where he had just been a hound. He's been, there were a couple of big shot contests where he just stayed with his guy and forced a bad miss down the stretch in this game against Louisiana. And, you know, it's for a guy this late in the season when you'd have every reason to kind of throw in the towel. And when the shots just aren't falling, he's had some good looks that just his shot has not been there, I think, at the level that he expected, but he hasn't let that affect him as far as doing something for the team. And so it almost feels like the fitting performance from this fitting win that you know we'll figure out the term for that you're looking for at some point. Like the guy who has every reason to not give his all, but he's out there doing something and whatever he can to help the team win. I am 
encouraged by that as and i'm super encouraged by edna moko really finding it right now it feels like the flip might the switch might be flipping for him which couldn't have come at a more important time for his college career and just for what the team needs honestly you might be correct it's it's crazy because obviously you know you want to see that happen way sooner you know totally understand that as you know fans want to see players do well you gotta remember I thought but, he started playing basketball in sophomore or junior year of high school. So he is still relatively new to the sport. So it, understandable. And, and you know, the other thing, too, and it's something that I think you preached a lot last year. There were flashes, you know, and I think coming into this season, um, we kind of knew that Leslie was going to be the starter there at big. We, I think we, I at least thought that they would work a little bit more, you know, two big lineups. Um, haven't totally seen that a ton. You have seen it some, um, but you know, I think a lot of people, you know, specifically us, we thought, okay, Ed had a, Ed showed us some stuff last year. This is probably going to be the year where he really puts it together. And early on this season, you know. I can't necessarily say that that had been the case, but I think you're right. I think the last few weeks, even regardless of the results that Georgia state has had, I've really liked his play. I've really liked what he's done. And specifically, you know, that two, that two big lineup that I was talking about. I mean, it worked really well. The other game this weekend, you know, I think they played a good bit of their minutes together and they weren't as staggered as they have been. And, you know, if the game is finally slowing down for Ed and I mean, that really does help Georgia state have that depth and have that versatility um, that they, I mean, you know, that we thought that they would have coming into the year. And outside of like maybe rebounding, maybe blocks, He's not going to be the focal point of the offense. You're really just going to need him to make the open shots when he's there. He had a nice dunk here uh, against Louisiana. There's another play where he got a guy up in the air and got an easy layup. So you've seen some offensive games start to show from him, but he's not going to be a guy that you can look at the stat sheet and see his production. Maybe by the time he's a senior, if he's like getting like the starting minutes, you see some of that. But he's always going to be a guy that I think is more what you don't see on the stats versus what you do. And that's where I really think you saw what he brought in. Yeah, He had nine and six in the Louisiana game. So that's obviously, that's great. You take that every night, but he was defending without fouling, which has been an issue for him. He was just being in the way. And it was something that the entire defense was doing where after what happened against coastal Carolina, where they, just we're not adjusting. And it's something that I called the coaching staff out for on here about just how Kevin Easley for the chance just didn't have to do anything different. He just kept backing up in the post and winning and just doing one move and getting a guy up in the air and then getting an easy layup. The defense has switched. They changed their philosophy. Basically, anytime a guy gets the post touch, someone's coming, whether it's from across the court, uh, whether it's the guy in the corner, they're coming to help. And they're doubling the guys in the post. And what happened on Wednesday against Louisiana was either you had a guy like Katinge backing down his guy, dealing with little traffic and putting up a contested shot in the lane. And a lot of them were misses. You know, you had Louisiana 32% shooting in the second half. Or you were making him make perfect cross-court passes to maybe an open guy in the corner. But he was skying some of them. He had a turnover where he threw one of them like five rows deep in the bleachers. And even if the pass got there, I think what you're seeing is the staff saying, we've got to take a risk somewhere. We're getting killed down low. It is an issue. 
we're going to take a risk that guy is even going to miss an open three, or we're going to take a risk that we trust that our, our perimeter guys who are pretty good at going out on shooters are going to get a contest if they do allow an open guy with this strategy. And through the basis of two games, it's worked and it's totally changed just the fabric of this defense. And it's why they held a Louisiana team that was on fire and scoring 80 games, 80 points a game. Like it was nothing to 69. And it's why against Miami, they held Miami to 53, which is the lowest they've allowed to a D1 opponent this year, and it is lower than the 57 they allowed when they beat Middle Georgia State. So <laughs> that, you know, mic drop on just that as the defense, and that's what you can point to is like, yeah, it was a good week for the defense. Yeah, and I mean, we will break down the game. Miami couldn't get anything, like anything that they wanted on the basketball court at any point in time during that entire game. Like, I know that it was only... Like the the two halves were ten point Georgia State, you know they had more points than them by ten in both halves. I, I mean that is still not really indicative of how good Georgia State's defense was. Like it was smothering doesn't even begin to describe it. Yeah, they were up ten at the break, and right out of the break in the second half, Miami got two quick threes to cut it back to four. And that moment, and there was another moment in the first half where. After having, I think, no turnovers for the first 11-ish minutes of the game, something crazy like that, State had four in like three minutes. Miami went on a little run in that segment, too, and cut the lead down. Other than those two points of time, kind of like two, three, four-minute segments in each of the halves, Georgia State was in control of that one. And I think you almost liked to see, okay... After what happened against Coastal, how is this team going to manage a lead? Well, Miami cut it to four and got a little bit nervous there right out of the break in the second half. And they went on a tear and they ended up going on an 11-0 run that kind of put them up well in control of the game. And then they sat on Miami the rest of the way. The Miami team that had been shooting 37% as a team on three-pointers, they were six of 31 from three. That is 19.4%. So part of the strategy with the change in defensive philosophy is you're risking the three percentage going up for the other team. You're risking them getting better looks, but wasn't the case uh, against a good three-point shooting team on Saturday. And it's kind of why, you know, if they're making a handful more of those, it might be a closer game down the stretch, but they were getting good shot contests. And the rest of it is, look, you'd rather give a guy a wide open three than a wide open two, because this percentage wise, you can live with the risk of, you know, there's like, Unless it's a team where, and I looked this up, there are two teams that are averaging less on two-pointers than Kentucky and Baylor and Sanford are on three-pointers this year. I won't name them out of respect, but very rarely is the case that a team is going to be a better, you know, a riskier to give them a two. You know, you can live with threes because the percentages are in your favor, usually a good bit in your favor. And I think that's what you're seeing play out a little bit and work this week. It certainly did. And, you know, I, I will talk about Tanari in both games just because I think the point is is sound. The, over the weekend, he went 8 for 24 from 3. In the Miami game, he went 5 for 14 from downtown, which is, you know, it's pretty good. And then in the, like you mentioned earlier, when he scored 16 in the Louisiana game, he went 3 of 10. And the reason I wanted to highlight that is because I think those percentages are probably a little bit less 
than where he's been just in his career and on some of the better games. But I think the thing that I like, though, is it's a high number of attempts, you know, for how much of the makes that he has. But I think he really is starting to just shoot out of whatever slump that he had, because I think, you know, I know that the Dion Waiters thing, I don't even know if that quote is real, but whatever um, about like, you know, I'd rather go oh for 25 than, yeah. you no know, one for 15. No chance he did. But, you know, earlier in the season, when Lane was struggling, he'd have six points, nine points, you know, on essentially the same amount of attempts and he wouldn't be making them. And I think the thing is, is for a lot of guys who are just, you know, volume shooters that shoot at high volumes, sometimes they really just need to see it go in and they're just going to continue to take good shots. And you just have to live with some of the makes. And I think, obviously, Georgia State won this weekend. So it's a lot easier to live with some of the makes. But some of the it's a lot easier to live with some of the attempts. The thing that I've enjoyed about Lane is he's starting to take better shots anyways. So you can definitely live with the amount of attempts. One, if he's going to make them like at this clip, you know, obviously 33% dead on is probably a little bit low for how much he is shooting. But the makes do the attempts do look better. And I, I don't want to I don't want to just move past that because earlier in the season they were looking incredibly suspect. And things have probably calmed down in his head a little bit. And he's worked within the offense instead of trying to be the offense. And I mean, as we see with this weekend, it paid off. Yeah, not even just Lane, but across the board, a team shot nine of twenty-six from three against Miami really started taking a lot more in the second half. I don't know if that was an emphasis in the half or not, but Lucas Taylor was two of eight, but I think all, but maybe one of those was a good, you take it every time and just didn't fall in six of the cases. Maybe one of them was a heat check, but Jaden Turner made one. We haven't talked about it yet. Leslie and Carrie made his first career three. Sorry. You're so right. And honestly, I felt bad because in the moment I had to look away from, I heard like a noise. So I looked away and I saw him like, uh, like kind of skipping back, like jogging and he was smiling. Yeah. He he was smiling and you know, he did like a a little celebration and I was like, what? I didn't see him in the post. I had to rewind it a little bit. And then I was like, he's still not in the post. Oh my God. He took a three. Yeah. What an incredible moment. He's taken, I think now five this year and every one of them has been the, He's out on the post and everyone correctly knows the scouting report. They're not going to go out there on him, but he was wide open. He took his time. He went up and it's something Jonas talked about after the game that he loved that he stood there and took it like he'd made 45 of them this year. And the other thing we learned from Jonas after the game was he also didn't make his first three until his senior year. And so he has a little connection there with Leslie, but uh, another good week from Leslie. And uh, yeah, I just, I wanted to circle back, kind of put my pin on this week with. You'd be remiss, you know, talking about all the positive, but you know, Georgia State went four of 18 from three against Louisiana. But the thing of it was, Lucas Taylor hit one to tie the game at 59. Tanari Lane hit one to take the lead that they'd never give up at 62-59. They had timely shots and timely plays. And another example, they were up two with the ball later in the game. Missed the shot. Jaden Turner comes out of nowhere. I still don't know where he was at exactly. He might have been on the other side of the court and just came darting back. Got an offensive rebound and a putback. Made it 70-66 at that point. 
it's one of those plays that I sat there and I was like, this night might be different because those have been the plays that have been happening to Georgia State, not by Georgia State during all of this losing. And you saw them make those plays. And so like the three point percentage against Louisiana didn't matter because in those moments you needed those shots to fall. You got two of them back to back that really made a difference. And you had that chase down rebound and put back by Jaden to add to the lead and keep the pressure on Louisiana. And so in a week where it was all about guys doing their part and doing enough, it just felt like a little symbolic thing that you saw those plays happen. And that was the game that the losing streak died. Yeah. I mean, just, (laughs) I will not portend that this is a trend necessarily because obviously the opponent is still tough, you know, to start off this week for Georgia state. Um, But I mean, you know, kind of like we said last week, sometimes you really just need the vibes to be just a little bit better. And, you know, that's how you get into the, okay, maybe we aren't whatever blip in our season that we think. And, you know, we can just carry that on into playing the rest of the season. I mean, there's still like, look, they are five and seven, you know, there's two, three, six basketball games left, all conference games. You know, Georgia State can play good basketball and still have a good season. Certainly can. Up next, a Virginia road trip as the team will head to James Madison Thursday night for their first meeting this season with the Dukes and the return leg of their series with Old Dominion. The Panthers came back from a double-digit deficit to beat ODU 77-70 in Atlanta back on January 11th. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this upcoming road trip? Yeah, just to circle back to something David had mentioned there at the end of his remarks when we were talking about the last games. This doesn't change, you know, two games in a row where you win, you look good, doesn't change that James Madison is 21 and three and has beaten a lot of good teams this year. Between them and App, it's the two best things, best teams in this conference, I believe. And I think, you know, if we're looking at it realistically, conference will be best served and see the best seed if one of them ends up representing the conference in the NCAA tournament. But it does count for so much that I think you're in as good of a place as you could have hoped for heading into this game with the two wins and the way you played. And you just look at the assignment you've got and it's another top 50 defense, kind of like App State. And James Madison shooting has cooled off some in conference play. They're shooting below their season clip in some belt play by a couple of percentage points, but it's a good experienced team that has shooters all around and a lot of threats on the court. And so if you're going to pick any time to feel like you maybe solved your defense, this was a game to be ready for because it's a team that can play defense of themselves, play defense themselves and they can score a lot of points. And so in the old formula where we're looking at a Georgia state team, that's really struggling defensively and wishy-washy offensively, this will be one of those games that you really worry about. And I'm not going to go all the all the way around on it and pretend I'm going to be like, it's going to be a win just like Louisiana game was because I don't know, but if they're playing like they did this past week, they can get scrappy with this team for sure. And that's all you can hope for. And now you've won a game scrappily down the stretch. Maybe you're turning your fortunes around that regard. Yeah. You know, I think looking at James Madison's schedule, they have three losses this year, all conference losses. Um, I think the best, you know, comparison point, I suppose you could say, is less the App State 
losses because obviously App State, you know, best team in the Sun Belt right now are tied for it. You know, I think that Southern Miss game that was played back on January 6th um, in Hattiesburg. Uh, so obviously James Madison was on the road, so not necessarily a one-to-one here. But, I mean, looking at the box score without actually watching that game, you can very clearly see why James Madison lost that game. Shot 11.8% from three. Less than 40% from the floor. Those are... Ron Hunter against Georgia State defensive numbers, you know, certainly a tough task to win basketball games uh, when you shoot like that. And I mean, I like like you said, I am not, you know, I don't think that Georgia State is going to upset James Madison here, but I will say there's your recipe. You just have to continue to play defense. You're just going to have to get an off shooting night from the Dukes. Um, Not unheard of. I mean. Like you said, they have not been shooting nearly as well outside of con- they have not been shooting nearly as well inside of conference play as they were outside of it. Um, obviously, still a good team, still eighty four point eight points a game type team. You know, we've talked about some of the teams with really good offenses in the Sun Belt. Well, this team also has a really good defense, so it's not going to be easy for Georgia State if they do end up getting them on an off night offensively. You know, I think. Georgia State's going to want to do what they did that first time they played App State and be really physical and, you know, try to play defense without fouling, try to play um, and, you know, get as timely of shooting as they can. Um, But certainly going to be pretty tough matchup for the Panthers here. Yeah, Terrence Edwards, one of the guys in the shortlist for eventual Sunbelt Player of the Year. He's their leading scorer. TJ Bickerstaff, who transferred to James Madison this year, is actually an Atlanta kid was at BC previously. He's come in and been kind of a force for them down low. And so as we've talked about, like, is this jump for Edna Moko real? Like how him and Leslie played this past week, really encouraging. They're going to get tested again on Thursday because Bickerstaff's a real handful to deal with down the post, shooting 63% on two-pointers this season. And no, Friedel, uh Feels like a guy, he's only been in the league two years because they've only been in the league two years. And those are actually his only two seasons at James Madison. But he's a guy that feels like he's been here five years. You know, he has just that vibe of just like old college basketball player that you feel like you've seen in games for longer than he's actually been there. Uh, Veteran presence for them, three-point shooter, a guy you got to watch out for. Byington, the coach, obviously we're familiar with. Certainly, I think you'd look at your chances of winning against them back in Atlanta when they come the second last game of the year is greater, though not great. Uh, But we'll see how they play. Uh, We definitely didn't expect them to beat Louisiana. And so kind of have to be ready for everything here. And it will be a real testament of like how much of a turnaround this really is versus you beat a not so great Miami team and you went on a nice little run in the second half against another team and kind of caught them off guard. And the other barrier, the other parameter of that is can you go beat old dominion on the road on saturday a team that really had your number for the first half when they played in atlanta and kind of shot the lights out and totally had you on the back foot came back in that game really important win you're gonna have to do an uh road horizons this time and uh i guess the other news of that game is Vashawn Alet, who had a good game against the panthers in atlanta freshman looked pretty poised to do really good things for the monarchs has left the team, so they are without their leading scorer. But you look at it, and they play Georgia State tough and apparently are just the worst matchup nightmare for Marshall because their two conference wins are both against Marshall. 
They dropped 91 of them in Norfolk back in uh, January 18th, and they won 87-76 in Huntington at the beginning of this month. Uh, you certainly can't take it for granted, but if you get that win, if nothing else this week, I think you're still on track for a 500 season. If you pull the upset against James Madison and win your other games, you can get above 500. And so that is what the Louisiana win did is that is a whole lot less pie in the sky now. You don't have to win out for that to be the case. You just need to maybe only lose James Madison once and take care of the other business. But uh, a chance on Saturday to get another season sweep against a team or get a season sweep against a team. They have, they've only done that against teams that they've played once so far. So a chance to get their first double sweep. And it's a game you look at, like if they were wanting to make noise in some belt tournament and get to those winning ways, even though it's on the road, it does profile as a game you feel like you're going to need to win to kind of show that you're taking these steps forward, that wins last week made it feel like you're taking. I want to backtrack very, very quickly because that was the 11th win that Georgia State had, which was more than they had all of last year. So, there you, you know, go. progress. It feel perilous that they were stuck on nine for forever, and it was like that, that take was going to look really, really bad if they ended up on nine wins at the end of the year, and it's like... Well, if they if they don't get this one against, you know, Miami, it's going to affect them. And the, but they are there. They have cleared that hurdle for David, for David specifically. No other reason yes. than wanting to win base, basketball games. Correct. Because genuinely, how did you make shirts last year with the record and then the next year lose less, lose more games like that? Something's something's not right there. Well, what you do there is you just keep making the shirts every offseason, no matter what the record is, be like, oh, it's a new tradition we're doing. We're just putting the old record on the next shirt, and it's a whole thing we're doing. You just got to cover your ass that way. <laughs> That's good. Uh, but, you know, bringing it back to Old Dominion, I mean, it's kind of the same thing that we talked about when they visited Atlanta. Realistically, Georgia State might not be the best team, but I do think it is safe to say that they are a better team. Um, granted, this is Old Dominion's at home this time, um, but, you know, significantly weaker than they were when they visited Atlanta. And that, that has to matter. You know, I think regardless of if Georgia State is back or, you know, what the vibes are, play good basketball. We've seen them play good basketball, even the, during the stretch of them losing six straight and just, you know, slip up at the end of games. You know, you can find a way to get a W against Old Dominion and things can, you know, be on a nice trajectory to end the season. Moving on, let's talk about the women's basketball team who had a one in one week. The most important piece of business for Georgia State was their nail biting 58 to 56 home win over Arkansas State. And in their Max Sunbelt Challenge matchup with Miami, Ohio, this one on the road, the Panthers lost 80 to 63, but were without the services of leading scorer Michaela Tolliver and another starter, Christina Bryan. They're now 14 and nine and fifth in the Sunbelt on a tiebreak for fourth place at eight and four. Both teams will be in Harrisonburg on Thursday as the ladies road trip also starts with the game at James Madison. They'll finish the week in Boone against Appalachian State on Saturday. So gentlemen, thoughts on the women's basketball team this week? Yeah, when you say nail-biting, uh, Arkansas State had two or three layups with a chance to tie it there, and after that got fouled and had a chance to go to the free-throw line to tie it as well. All of those shots miss. Georgia State pulls out the win by the hairs on their chin-chin-chin. And it's an important win because that's a team that you're around in the standings. It's the only time you're going to play them. So while you've got two standing spaces in front of them now, they're eight, they're six and six, you're eight and four. 
might still be an important tiebreaker to have in your back pocket. Um, and it's a team that hopefully you don't play again because Izzy Hickenbotham is just aggressively hard to defend. Yeah, I was watching the game. I tweeted smarmily thing, like the thing that typical person just watching a game tweets, like, of course, this stuff is really easy. It was like, should probably get someone in front of Izzy Higginbotham when she's driving the lane. Because there was a stretch there in the second half where she just got to the basket with a lot of ease. But then there was another play where someone stuck with her really well and she pulled up and hit a jumper anyway, and they couldn't defend it any better. And it's like, well, you know, it's just hard. Uh, but at the end of the day, they made enough plays to win that game. And to borrow from the master of sports media, Stephen A. Smith, as for, for the Saturday game against Miami, we don't care. Uh, there was a Saturday game? I, I, no, the, no, 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 no. There was not a Saturday game. You want to believe, you know, every game, 100%, everything's about the wins. But reality is that game didn't matter for the standings. Georgia State was already not going to be an at-large team in the women's basketball tournament. I hate to break it to you. And so it was an opportunity. They rested their leading scorer, and that should tell you that they felt like that was what the opportunity was about for them. Never want to lose by 17, but that game will not factor into anything as far as the rest of the season goes. Uh, but you got to turn around now, beat a James Madison team who you just beat in Atlanta, so it's going to be fresh on their minds that happened. And Boone's always a tough place to play, App State. 6-6, six and 13-11 six, on the year, currently on a three-game winning streak. And so it's a tough week. It's one of those where where you're at at the standings, you know, just outside the top four, on a tiebreaker with Old Dominion at eight and four, getting a sweep here, whichever game it comes in, stays on schedule. You move along. You hope other results help you out. But I feel like that is, you know, it's just about at least getting one of these games, not having a sweep on the road. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, my only only gripe with Saturday is. I do genuinely hope that the future of either if the Max Sunbelt Challenge stays or if the Sunbelt partners with another conference, I do hope that people won't just look at those games later on in the season as a chance to rest. Not saying that it's a bad thing that it happened here, you know, because it's just it's fun to play the games. And, you know, like we talked about last week when, you know, we kind of dived into the matchup, dove into the matchup, whatever. Um, it's it's nice when you get a chance to play a school that you probably have never played before, never been to, never really had a consideration of going to um, just in an athletic sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope in the future, you know, it's not going to be a situation um, like that. Obviously, you know, we are, you know, media fans whatever you want to call it so um you know maybe there were some bumps and bruises that they were resting on and you know that's totally a possibility and that they wouldn't disclose to us and it's totally fine yeah, um, from what i i understand it's not an issue long term it was just an opportunity to rest a couple of players so exactly exactly so yeah, i did i did just want to I say understand that. your point because obviously if you start turning one game into a farce or just like whatever it's slippery slope or whatever but at the end of the day, it is this one game and a host of other ones that have real stakes that if there is anything any team is dealing with, they're going to take that opportunity. And that's just smart roster management from a coach. And I will say for his part, Jonas did give the coach speak, but probably some legitimacy to an answer when I asked him about it after the game against Miami on Saturday, where he was like, look, we treated it like it was the first time we were playing a conference opponent. And it just was a, another challenge along the road and that it wasn't any different for us. It's how we were doing 
like every time we play a team when we're about to for the first time in Sunbelt play. And so he gave the diplomatic answer and did not give the feeling of like, I don't want to play these games. And I saw Shane Metlin, JMU writer for the Daily News Record up in Harrisonburg. Uh, he had a piece where Mark Byington was talking about like, let's do it with the A-10, let's do it with whoever, and like was very on board with the idea especially if you're up in the conference, it's a good way late in the season to get a good RP or a good net game. And uh, certainly Georgia State wants to be back in that category next year and thinking about it in those terms. But you know, for the women's game this week, I, I think it will be not even a footnote on the rest of the season. And they've still got a chance to solidify what will be, could be, should be their best finish in women's basketball since they've joined the conference. Yeah, kind of ran away with it a little bit there, but you basically hit on what I was trying to say. Like, it's, I don't think that this is anything nefarious. And I mean, you know, as you're, you kind of ended saying, like, this, there are real goals for the women's team as, as we kind of get to the real meat and potatoes of the season. So, you know, finding little pockets of rest here and there and, you know, being ready to face James Madison at App State, who, I mean, James Madison, at least, they're a game in front of Georgia State for, they're tied for second in the conference. And, you know, App State is, trying to chase Georgia State. That's not going to be an easy win for the Panthers, the Lady Panthers, if they were to get it. So, yeah, totally understand the decision. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of get through the rest of their season. Yeah. They don't hand out banners or conference tournament buys for beating Miami of Ohio. And so there you have it. All right. And last but certainly not least this week, Brady had the chance to catch up with head of baseball coach Brad Stromdahl this week at the GSU Baseball Complex. Brady, how was that? Yeah, great to get down to the complex. Uh, posted up in the bullpen, little bench area, talked to Coach Stromdahl for a few minutes, uh, previewed the season, his expectations, and spoiler alert is he's pretty confident about this team. He expects it to be a fun year. Take a listen. I was just going to ask a few questions. You're a week out from opening day. How are you feeling? I think it's, uh, you know, obviously, you know, every opening weekend is has its holds its own excitement. But, you know, with where, you know, we have been since we took over the program in 2019 to where we are today, this opening day, I think is, you know, the most exciting to date. Um, I don't know, I can use whatever word you want to use there, but um, no, I mean, it, it's really, it's, it, we are so optimistic and we've done so much work and we are so old, um, you know, as position players with so much experience. And then on the mound, you know, from top to bottom, we are as deep and as, as whole as we have ever been. Um, and I'm just excited to see what these guys can do. And you know, we're just so optimistic. I mean, you know, I don't want to, you know, go crazy, crazy, but like this team should be able to put up some good numbers on both sides and be able to win a lot of games. And, you know, my, my expectations and our staff's expectations are to, uh, you know, buy for a their conference championship and be able to, uh, you know, hopefully play in the postseason. You talked a little bit about that experience. Just who are some of the guys coming back that you really feel you're going to lean on this year? Yeah, I mean, Matt Ruiz, I mean, Luke Boyden uh, from those two, you know, JoJo Jackson, um, you know, Will Mize. I mean, those are all core. Cool. 
four, you know, two, three, four, five hitters uh, for us in the lineup, you know, and, you know, and then we had a couple of additions with, you know, Dial, uh, you know, Brian Dial coming in from Auburn. He'll probably be, you know, right in the middle of that lineup as well. Um, you know, Max Martin and uh, Henry Kohler, uh, those guys, I mean, they have experience and that's, that's the best part about what we have offensively um, on the position side. And, you know, on the pitching side, it's, we're, we're young, um, but we're very, very talented. You know, like Quinn McMahonman, um, you know, Brooks Gorman. You know, there's going to be a lot of, of uh, you know, leverage put on those guys, you know, and Brady Jones and Chastain. Um, you know, they've been here. They know what it is, and now they have something to prove. And so, you know, that with the addition of, you know, Rob Evans and um, Ross Norman and, and some of the other guys that we have, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Caleb White. Um, so I'm, I'm just really excited to see what they can do and, you know, where we've been from a recruiting standpoint and what we've put together. Um, and we just keep adding and building. Is that a long enough answer for you? <laughs> I'm not trying to talk forever. As you now are going to real games in a week, I go, what is the biggest thing you're looking at? Maybe you're going to have to figure out as the season starts and you're playing against other opponents. Honestly, I think from an offensive standpoint, we are pretty – we understand who we are, I think. And so it's just maintaining who we are on the offensive side of things. On the pitching side of things, I definitely think it's a little bit more unknown with who's going to pitch Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I think that we have a lot of really, really good Saturday guys, and we have a couple guys that can pitch on a Friday. But who steps up? Um, and then how, how does that order fall? You know, going into conference is really the only thing that matters from that standpoint uh, because we have two weekends that are four, uh, four-game weekends, which is Army and Western Carolina. Um, so we're going to have the opportunity to be able to go um, and, and let guys have some innings and then they decide it themselves on the field. And so, you know, we've, we've been pretty strategic with our scheduling. Um, all of our power fives are in the first six weeks. So if you win them all, if you lose them all, it doesn't really matter because kind of towards the end, what the committee looks at is like what you've done for me lately. Um, and so we, we've put ourselves in a position to be really good on Tuesdays later on in the, in the year. Um, hopefully put up some wins and then um, I, I think that's I think that those are kind of the big obstacles honestly it's like we've done everything we need to do and we just need to go play yeah and speaking to that schedule a little bit uh, maybe not like huge hallmark names in the non-con early on but you look at like New Orleans 136 last year Correct. Army's been in a yep. mainstay in the regions the last few yep. years uh, Seton Hall even 31 wins last year in yep. their conference so deceptively tough early schedule yeah so you know all of those teams are tier 2 or tier 3 teams in the RPI system that we look at um, and so you know in the past we've got a lot of tier 1 teams or tier 4 teams what we've kind of done over the course of the last couple of years is understand that the research has proven that if you win 34, 35, 36 games going into the tournament um, and you have a pretty good winning percentage in tier two and tier three, you're really given an opportunity to go to a regional as an at-large bid. And so, you know, that's what's, you know, that's what the goal is, is to win as many games as you need to, um, but also putting up those quality wins versus the quality opponents that we're facing. And so, you know, it's going to be a battle and it's going to be a, a test, but these are good teams and they're good opponents. They might not be household names from an SEC, ACC standpoint, but, um, you know, they absolutely, um, they absolutely put us in a position where we want to go if we can do what we're supposed to do, what we think we can do. And then obviously get you ready for what is 
just going to be a gauntlet every year in the Sunbelt baseball. Correct. It's great. I mean, it's it's going to be fun. I mean, you know, obviously Sunbelt, you know, are the number five team RPI-wise in the conference in the, in the country, RPI conference in the country. I think with kind of some of the maneuvering of the Big 12 and the Conference USA and the, the AAC, I think we'll be number four this year. Um I don't think we'll be number three, but like as a conference, I think we'll be the fourth best conference in the country, you know, which also leads to a lot of the things that we're discussing now. How do you get four or five, six teams from your conference into a regional? And, um, you know, a lot of that is tier two wins, tier three wins, putting up 35, 36, 37 wins. And so, you know, it's been proven that, you know, over the last three years, two of the four last in or last out have been Sunbelt Conference teams. And so, you know, and those are always the fifth or the sixth team in the conference. And so, you know, we we know what we have to do, which I think is important. And our job is to go out and do it. And I guess all of this talk about resume, schedule game and all. A couple years ago, maybe you weren't having this many conversations about it. You're like speaking to us about it in that way. So does that speak to maybe <clears throat> the steps you feel like you've taken that you can schedule that way and look at the schedule that way? Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, what, what I, I feel with what our staff has been able to do, what our players have been able to prove produce on the field uh, puts us in that in that conversation but you know it's it takes time you know I mean we they won 11 games when we got here in 2019 the year before um, you know we had the SEC East schedule the COVID year which was getting a lot of the like the Mize and the Lutz and a lot of those guys ready for you know what what this year is all about you know we have uh, old kids with good leadership and you know a lot of these kids have been in the program for two or three or four years and with that becomes some consistency and so if you have consistency within your coaching staff and within your players um, the rest of it kind of falls into place because you can really kind of each year coach more teach more be more detailed about whatever a pick play or an offensive philosophy or you know footwork at third base I mean it's uh, you know just the more age you have and the more time you have the better you, you should be and I feel like that's uh, that's where we are this year that's where we are next year um, and really in subsequent years we have so many you know young kids that are going to get an opportunity to play um, I think it's it's a lot of fun thanks again to coach Stromdahl for the time he gave uh, speaking to me last week uh, team heads to New Orleans this Friday it's, the games are real starting this week they've got a three game set in New Orleans against the privateers of UNO Uh 7.30 p.m. on Friday, 7 on Saturday, 2 p.m. on Sunday. If I read North New Orleans' site correctly, the Friday and the Sunday games should be televised on ESPN+, Plus, so fans will be able to watch the Panthers then. And the home opener, Saturday, uh, Tuesday, February 20th, against the Dogs of Georgia, which I guess we will be here again before that point to talk about the weekend that was. But SEC team... At home, hope opener right around the corner uh, for the Georgia State Panthers on the baseball diamond. I know that we start in February like every year, so it's that part of it isn't a surprise to me, but it still feels so early to start college baseball. And it's not even because it's cold in Chicago because it hasn't even been that cold, but it just feels so so weird i'm excited you know I feel like a kid on Christmas who didn't actually think there was going to be gifts it's something else. Yeah, it snuck up on me as well, um, and maybe even more so because it's a road series to start, which I believe is the first time since 2011 they're going to be starting on the road. 
Uh, so the, the home schedule even lurked further down the line where it's like, oh, we're, we're going to talk about baseball eventually. And then you look up and it is this week. There are games happening this week. And so it's going to be a fun season, as Coach Stromdahl alluded to, maybe figuring out early in the season more defined pitching roles and feeling like you're just going to keep building what you did offensively last couple of years. Uh, but the thing I took away is that it's not that he's worried he doesn't have the pieces pitching-wise. It's just figure out who's going to fit what role. There's a lot of young arms that there's some upside on that he's looking to project out and see who shows up when the lights go on in the stadium and if the games are actually happening. So that'll start this week against New Orleans. And that's all the time we have for you this week, with the exception of our look ahead to everything happening in Georgia State Athletics this week that we lovingly refer to as Sports Bits. So let's go ahead and dive right into those. On Wednesday, uh, softball hosts Mercer in Atlanta at 5 p.m. On Thursday, both women's and men's basketball travel up to Harrisonburg, Virginia to face James Madison, women tipping off at 5 and men tipping off at 8. Both of those games will be on ESPN+, and you can listen to the men's game uh, live with Dave Cohen on the call on WRSFM 88.5. Moving on to Friday, got a whole host of events. Softball hosting the Panther Invitational at GSU at the Bob Hepp Softball Complex, starting at 10 a.m. with Butler versus Belmont, 12.30 p.m., Butler versus South Dakota, 3 p.m., the Panthers take the field versus Belmont, 5 p.m., men's tennis hosts UAB in Peachtree Corners, and softball then goes on to play South Dakota at 5.30 p.m. back up in the Bob Heck Softball Complex, while baseball travels down to New Orleans to face the Privateers at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Saturday, 10 different events to get your Panther fill for the day. Men's golf heads to Hilton Head Island, South Carolina for the Wexford Intercollegiate. Softball continues hosting the Panther Invitational. Both of those games in the morning, 10 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. being South Dakota versus Butler and South Dakota versus Belmont, respectively, while men's tennis plays North Florida and Peachtree Corners at 1. Women's tennis plays Jacksonville State and Atlanta at 1 p.m. as well. Women's basketball heads up the mountain to Boone, North Carolina at App State at 2 p.m. on ESPN+, Plus, while softball plays Butler at 3 p.m and Belmont at 5.30 p.m. Men's basketball plays at Old Dominion in Norfolk, Virginia at 7 p.m. You can catch that game on ESPN+. And you can listen to Dave Cohen live on the call on WRSFM 88.5. Baseball plays a second game against New Orleans at 7 p.m. Eastern as well. Sunday, men's golf continues at the Wexford Intercollegiate, while the Panther Invitational winds down with a game at 10 a.m., South Dakota versus Belmont. And then later in the afternoon at 12.30, softball plays Butler in the final game of that event. Then women's tennis hosts Penn in Atlanta at 10 a.m. Men's tennis hosts Liberty in Peachtree Corners at 1 p.m. And baseball plays the final game of their series versus the University of New Orleans at 2 p.m. Eastern. Moving on to Monday, you have men's golf with the final day of the Wexford Intercollegiate. Women's golf at ULM for the Great River Cup, which is an event that will continue into Tuesday. And then all day, women's track and field heads down to the Sunbelt Conference Indoor Championship in Birmingham, Alabama. That event will be happening on Tuesday as well. So that is quite the list of uh, stuff going on in Panthers Athletics. Spring season is always busy. 
Well, I guess this is technically winter, but I digress. Uh, get out there, support the Panthers. There's plenty to talk about next week in the podcast. We'll see you then. Have a great week and go Panthers.